Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Real Ones. My name is Will, and today I have a friend of mine. His name is Rob, and he has his own farm. And uh, yeah, so thanks for taking time out of your busy day, Rob. And uh, No problem. Yeah. So tell me a bit about... Uh, so you have your own farm, and I'm really curious about it. So kind of, let's. I guess we could just go from there. Um, tell me yeah, about so, like uh, your journey on like how you started and everything. So I'm Rob, and together with my wife, Sarah, we own and run the Rise Farm. So we're ultra-small-scale, diversified, direct-to-consumer meat. Uh, and what that basically means is we produce a small amount of uh, different meat products and sell them directly to either the end user customer or to small amounts of restaurants. And we specialize in everything that isn't pigs or cows. So we go from rabbit, duck, goose, turkey, chicken, goat, lamb, uh, and anything. That, Lots of stuff. Uh, Lots of stuff. <laughs> vegetables as well, but like not, not as much. Right. Cool. So, now, like, you know, you and I knew each other a long time ago, and, like, I, I was always curious, like, what got you, like, to go to, like, starting your own farm? Like, so can you tell a bit about, like, your decision to, like, start your farm and, like, what that meant to you? Yeah, so basically we were, uh, we were both city kids, um, but looking for a more direct lifestyle, so something that uh, puts your efforts into to benefiting you directly, so that started with a, with food and, you know, we had city gardens and uh, grew our own tomatoes and stuff like that. Uh, and then the more we talked about it, we wanted to get more involved with everything where our food came from, which led us to thinking about starting a small farm. So we ended up purchasing a small rural property that wasn't set up as a farm, but we're on two acres of the land and between harder pasture and uh and swamp and rock um so right, right, it doesn't really right, yeah. lend it yeah your your audio is cutting out a bit but it's okay like this is okay so everyone listening this is my first podcast and there will be some technical glitches because i am trying to set things up so bear with it but uh yeah anyway sorry to interrupt right. And I'm also living in the country, so internet when it's raining is uh, not really as <laughs> great as the city. So, um, yeah, yeah, sure. the, we we basically just shifted from uh, from working for others to try and work for ourselves. So that cool. even uh, like we heat with only wood, and I've harvested our own wood that uh, the first and second winter, and did all of that, and now we buy logs and cut them up but there's no thermostat to hit we burn nice, wood nice. to stay alive that's amazing so like the reason why like i wanted to, I, well having you as a first guest is an honor because you know like you're well, awesome dude <laughs> uh, and, and and i don't like talking to people so we make an exception <laughs> when bill asks for a favor <laughs> um and uh like we would talk and i'm like oh like i'm just curious about like where like if I wanted to buy some of like Rob stuff or like if I want to get like understand more like where my meat comes from, uh, how would I do that? Or like I'm so I'm looking around like my area and I'm like, you know, talking to like different people and like where they like different butchers or like where they get their meat. And I'm like, oh, this is amazing. Like they're informing me and now I can make I like that connection. 
with being able like with where my where I source my meat. And then you and I were talking and then I was like, oh, wow, cool. Like you have your own thing going on, too. So that's kind of what opened up this conversation. And and it's I like that knowledge. So it's it's awesome that like you're, you're on this podcast teach, teaching me about all that stuff. Yeah. And we sell to customers just like yourself that want a more direct connection to what they're buying and what they're eating. So uh, we sell directly from the farm to the consumer. Okay. So from farm, oh, sorry, I'm writing down a few notes here just to, from farm to consumer. So we can- Are you writing maybe, it on paper or are you writing it on the on computer? On paper, on paper. So Jeez. from farm to consumer. And so now, like when I thought, I was like, oh yeah, Rob, like, because I've been to your farm and it was amazing. I would see like the chickens run around and they're like, you know, it's like they're walking around and stuff and it's cool. And I've seen like all your other animals too. And uh, yep. I love the farm and- uh, then I was like thinking when we were talking, I was like, oh, like how would I be able to, if I wanted some of your food? But for me, like where I live, it would be a drive, but also like it's worth it. But what, what like for people who are interested in getting their meat from like certain sources, uh, what, what issues have you seen for distribution or like how, how can people uh, figure out for them when they want to find their source? Uh, do you want to like, you know, talk about that? So a lot of small farms uh, that do the direct-to-consumer route all have an internet presence of some kind, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, their websites. They're, they're out there because you need to be accessible to people to find you. Uh, so they're either doing a face-to-face -face like a farmer's market or utilizing social media to uh, connect to your consumer base. Mm -hmm. So basically in every area of like Ontario, there's going to be smaller farms that are doing this. And just searching around and following links, you'll find somebody that is maybe not in downtown Toronto per se, but, right. you know, in the surrounding areas where there is farmland and they do sell directly to consumer. So do you find like, so the people that are convenient for you, like they're more maybe like closer, like in certain areas that are easily like accessible to where you are uh, compared to like other places where it's like, oh, it's, it'd take me like five hours to get to like to your farm. In a sense, yeah, so they so can find someone local to them or, you know? We're, we're local to Kingston because they're about 45 minutes uh, oh, okay. of a drive to the biggest city in the area. Uh, but Toronto, you would have Markham, Stouffville, um, you know, outsides of Richmond Hill probably. Like, they do exist on where there is rural properties. But our consumer base is mostly Kingston with a little bit of Toronto added in because that's where we're from. So right. uh, we, nice. we'll do a delivery or two, or when we're going to the city for something else, uh, we'll put a call to any of our customers if we've got something available and they can just basically order it either through the website or directly and we drop it off. So it's like less convenient in the grocery store sense, but you're literally getting the food delivered from a farmer directly to your doorstep. Mm -hmm. Um that's awesome. And the thing, like, for me, like, a philosophy I have is, like, choice. Like, that choice of being, like, hey, some people, like, yeah, you're providing another choice or option. Exactly. Because we couldn't, we couldn't possibly fit into the, uh, to the, the main food system to supply all of the food for a large city doing small-scale agriculture. Right. Uh, but we can fill a certain customer base that is looking for that and uh you know it's obviously going to be more expensive than uh than discount meat or discount food 
but you know the background is there like there's always the option when people uh, buy for the first time they can come up to the farm and we walk them around and kind of show them you know there's oh. there's where the lambs live these these are the ducks that are walking around <laughs> and uh you know we sell eggs at the farm gate as well so uh it gives them more of a tangible connection to where their food is coming from to be able to actually go and see it being alive yeah yeah that's a, that's awesome like for me too it's like that was like the first time like i've been on farms i think when i was younger but like when i was there i was like oh wow this is like where my food comes from but i like yep. for me it's just like living in the city like you you, you everyone's got a busy life right you like at your work you got stuff you're all doing and then you just go to the grocery store because it's like it's there it's like you got everything it's in convenient. one place it's convenient exactly yep um but then, like being at your farm, I was like, "Oh wow, like that's cool!" Like I, you're seeing the animals, and then you get that connection. I was like, "Oh, so the the understanding, that education, that that felt nice." Yeah, and like you can't go visit a a, a big industrial style farm to see where your food's coming from unless they're doing something like a tour. Uh, but usually, small scale, like I said, people that are doing it on social media, uh, like it's you know you have to be respectful to the farmer's time, but. At the same time, you know, if you're looking to to buy small scale agriculture, you still have to be kind of available to show what you're doing and how you're doing it and why you do it, right? Mm -hmm. So, when you find when people come to like it's almost like a first visit, right? Before maybe before they even purchase meat or they they have the intention to purchase stuff, but they want to come first to see like like what's like, and then then yeah, it's like for, then you have a chance to like educate them, be like, well, this is how I run things, or like how this is how for, I kind of. For, for insurance purposes, like we don't do tours in a sense that, uh, you know, we just take groups of school kids around and, and show them the show them the farm. It's designed around a pickup of an interested person. And that's why social media allows us to show what oh. we're doing more on a day to day. Uh, and like we don't have time to just walk people around and talk about farming uh, just on the off chance they're going to buy something. Right. But yeah. if uh, if they're already in that mindset, like they're part of your consumer base anyways right so for those listening right now if they're like if they're on their computer or whatever uh could you tell me like where if they're looking right like as they're listening where could they find your stuff right now on social media our stuff is only available directly through us so like i said we have a website therisefarm.com uh that we put the stuff that uh, isn't pre-sold on there but not just us any small scale producer does it pretty much the same thing in in one one way or the other they'll have what they've got available on their website or on an email list and people can communicate that way and uh and and connect with their with their order kind of thing so if people were like oh i want to like support local businesses or i want to support small scale farms they could literally just probably google like hey uh small scale farms and then they yep. it would show them like a map or a directory and then they can find ones local to them or like you know what i mean yep there's a couple there's a couple even uh even services that are are, are popping up now like there's a there's one called good day uh and i there's there's another one shop local i think uh, and what they do is amalgamate all of the uh, all of the direct to consumer farms in a certain area, and then you know you would go on to that, find your area, and then you know if you're looking for beef, here's here's a direct to consumer beef farmer, and there there's their website and and how you can connect with them with what they've got available as well. So it's it's progressing like there are places that are amalgamating it, so you don't have to go hunting on your own, yeah. uh, but it takes farms to you know sign up for that as well right 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 uh but as you said like they need you need to like you know it's uh, the 
the, the year we're in now, you need to have a, an internet or social media presence. Whereas like yeah, back in the day, other... back in the day, it's like you just kind of knew the farmer down the street and you're like, and I'm talking about like the 1900s or whatever. It's like, oh, hey, I'm just going to go to Rob's farm because he's down the street. And you have that connection through word of mouth. But now it's like local, you need to be on the internet, right? Your local farmer's market would have the, the same thing as well. If you were going to do it in person, like the people that are going to those and setting up a booth week to week, uh, if they're not selling what, you, what you're what you looking for, they probably have a neighbor that does the same thing. Oh, okay. But the internet obviously expands your reach because like not every farm has enough to uh, to go to a farmer's market every Saturday through the summer on the busy season, right? So that's just another way that you can connect because again, whether or not that individual farmer has everything that you're trying to trying to find, uh, they're going to know other farmers in your area or in their area and can point you in the right direction right? to help you find it. Cool. So like, cause one part of this, like talking about this is like, all right, so we're going to talk more about like kind of, you know, how you run your stuff at your farm, but also for people who are like, We'll see. Some people will be like, oh, maybe this is like, I would like to support my like local farmers. So you are saying they should try that good day? Uh, uh, yeah, that, okay. that's, uh, I believe it's province-wide, if not uh, all of Canada, but I'm pretty sure they they just started last year. Uh, like th- there's more than them, but like that's the one that comes off the top of my head because they're amalgamating um, like small local farms so that way people can go in one stop and uh find what they're looking for whether it's vegetables or, or meat yeah like so for me what i've tried to do as well is like i'll just walk around my area um and i'm like i'm in toronto so there's lots of like cool spots where it's like oh there's like a little like a butcher shop here and it's like you walk in it's like the pe- person will like greet you you walk in it's like oh hi and then they'll they'll like answer your questions and then i'll be like oh where's like you may come from and they're like oh it's like from this farm and you're like oh that's cool. And then some of them have brochures. So they educate you, right, on the yep. on everything. So that's awesome. The, so they the can, same, so people can even thing. just like kind of walk sorry to uh, people could just walk around their area as well and then also find stuff if they're looking like in their local neighborhood. Well, the same thing with farm to table restaurants. Like a lot of the time a farm to table restaurant, their business is built around buying direct from a certain farmer. And a lot of the times they put the farm's name on the, the menu, you know, oh. like radishes from uh, Sun Valley, like, and a lot of the times you just take that take that menu and Google that farm and see whether or not they sell direct to you or only sell direct to small grocers and restaurants. Yeah, right. so it's just it's another way of finding someone. Yeah. Exactly, because their their transparency is saying we buy our beef from uh, from Enright cattle, and like this is where the farm is, and like if you want to learn more about where that beef came from that we're serving to you, you can sort out their online presence and, and see more of what they're doing specifically, right? That's awesome. Wow, cool. Okay. Huh. So that's good. So now it's like, all right, so now we can get into how, how do you run your stuff? Like, what's your philosophy? Or like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, how do you run your so stuff? So we, we, we try, and, uh, try and afford everything, the, uh, the, the amount of space that we can. The, uh, the birds are all, uh, like the ducks and the geese, they're all free-ranging, walking around, being ducks, swimming in ponds and, and puddles. And uh, when we do specific things like, uh, like turkeys, turkeys take a long time to grow so they're usually kept in a larger style outdoor cage uh chickens the same thing like we lock them up at night but they have access to outside during the day uh 
the lambs and goats, they have uh, access to pasture when it's uh, the summer in Canada. So from June till September, <laughs> uh, and then it starts getting cold and the grass isn't as good, but uh, they have access to wandering and, and eating the natural grasses that are out there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, can, I, can I share one uh, funny story? Actually, when I, when I was visiting your farm, the thing I loved, so we were there and I was watching your goat, I think it was your goats, but you had the one donkey there, right? And the, with them. Yeah. And Bruce. Bruce? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Bruce the donkey. <laughs> so I love that. I'm like, what is a donkey doing in there with all the goats? And then, but I saw like some of the goats would start, like, not fighting, but like they start like hitting heads or whatever. And then the donkey yeah. will come in. Bruce would be like, hey, hey, hold on, settle down, settle down. He's the bouncer. <laughs> Bruce the bouncer. Okay. But uh, don donkeys, donkeys serve as a guardian animal. So they, uh, they, hopefully protect your flock from stuff like coyotes and, and foxes and birds of prey and stuff like that that would be looking for an easy meal of well-fed livestock. Uh, the donkey stays out there with them and he's a pretty good deterrent and donkeys when they are really good guardians are not something to be messed around with. Right, right. But they're very gentle, like they're gentle creatures and they also, but they also know like how to be the bouncer as you're saying, right? Yeah, they break up. Like he, he, he likes to break up fights, but it'll also start mischief too because he's young. He's he's not he's not even two years old yet, so he's still growing and learning. Yeah. Uh, but he mixes in well with them, and for the most part, doesn't really like. He's very good with the lambs and the and the goats when they're first born because they're only like, you know, between six and ten pounds. So they're you know he's very careful not to step on anybody because he's a couple hundred pounds. Mm -hmm. Um. Well, well, I've been on your Instagram page, and the part I love about it is you share like some of the like just just the going ons at the farm, and you'll see the, you'll have some videos where it's just like, oh, here's the 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 goats are you know kind of they're waking up and they're they're eating or they're doing their stuff, and it's just for me as someone who lives in the city, it's a nice break from the everyday to just watch like some going ons at a farm. It's some exactly. of my favorite content to escape from like just the city life in a sense. It it's like why we share that a lot of the times in the stories and the posts to uh, give a glimpse of the day to day because uh, there's more than the uh, when it turns into meat for your plate. It's got a whole life that it that it lives, uh, and you hopefully can you know show them from when they're uh, just a six pound little baby and as they grow. And there's nothing there's nothing more fun than watching the lambs be lambs and just bounce around and uh, and run about and get into trouble. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Oh, and it's like for me, like I don't have any pets, but I'm like, oh, maybe I'll get a dog or maybe I'll get a cat. But then for you being on a farm, it's like, hey, like like you've got tons of animals there. It's like they're almost all like your, you know what I mean? Like you get to yeah. interact with with nature and animals all day. So it's like you get to see all their personalities, right? Because I'm sure each of them have their own personalities. Yep, and the more the more some things are, are handled, the more used to you they get. And uh, like the goats are a lot more personable than say the sheep are. But uh, because we have a small amount uh, in comparison to larger flocks, uh, like we interact with individuals on a day-to-day -day basis too, right? So right. they'll even come over for pets and for scratches and see if you've got any treats in your pocket and, you know, they uh, trust you with their babies and oh that's awesome so we milk uh, a couple of goats uh, every year as well so we we drink the milk we make goat cheese uh, we're dabbling in soap and probably candles again like this year uh, now that we've got a couple more milking style goats 
but unfortunately, we can't sell the milk or the cheese, but the soaps we can sell. Okay, sorry, you can't sell the. So you can't sell you, you can't sell milk or milk products directly because there's uh, health risks involved right, with right, that. Right, right, of course. Right. There's yeah, laws. we have like food res regulations and stuff for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, so milk is something safety, that you yeah. can't sell. Yeah. For sure. Um, so do you want to go into that a bit? Just like, uh, so say someone's like, oh, I'm a small, I want to start, not necessarily like they want to start their own farm, but like what are the kind of rules and regulations that you need to follow to be able to sell to consumer? Well, you always start with your bylaws. So every, every municipality will have a set of rules of what you can and can't have on your property. And there's always reasons for that. So uh, in a city, you can't have uh, sheep or goats, but you could now they're letting you have uh, a couple chickens as long as it's not a rooster because roosters are loud. So you can have a couple chickens to get your own eggs. Uh, on a farm, usually you're zoned uh, rural or agricultural, so you're allowed more things depending on how much space you have uh and then you go into like food safety laws so transport and storage and uh even the packaging and the and the weighing of stuff there's regulations for everything nice nice okay yep um so that's good. It keeps like yeah it keeps the food like at a certain standard and then it keeps everyone healthy and it, yeah that's, that's, that's exactly because you, you you always have to have meat processed at a licensed abattoir so that's the place that will will process a live animal into cuts uh you can't just on farm process anything and then sell it uh there's you know a whole bunch of rules on how everything has to be dealt with and uh and treated even after once you get it back like we run separate chest freezers for uh the the stuff for customers uh and then i have my own chest freezer for stuff that's just for us uh so you have to keep it separate as well and it's just one more one more rule that you have to be aware of to follow to keep everybody safe and your food safe sure. so okay let's let's run through this scenario then so say scenario. i live around kingston or whatever like a certain, like kind of close ish to you and i go yep. hey you know what i saw your website or i see you on instagram and I am interested in, in like learning more, but also like maybe, so the people who do purchase from you, what is the start of that to be like, hey, I send you an email and go, hey, I'm actually interested in buying some meat. What, can you tell me the life cycle of the beginning to, to the end of like, I bought, now I have the meat and I'm like on my way home and I purchased that. What's that whole life cycle? Yeah, so a lot of the time, like, that'll either be uh, on one of our social platforms or directly from the website, like, somebody sends a message and asks if we've got this actually available or when we're going to have more of this, uh, and then basically tell them exactly what we've got available or an ex-processing date, and we maintain, like, uh, not necessarily a waiting list, but we maintain a list of interested people and once we've got something that's going in to, to be processed, those people get the first shot. If that doesn't, like if we've got more than, uh, than what our list is, then it goes onto the website and we'll either set up, like I said, the delivery. So we'll do contactless drops. So we can even, if we're going to Kingston, we'll set up multiple drops. And if people aren't home a lot of the time, they'll just leave out a cooler for us. Oh. And everything is basically going to be frozen unless there's really special time frame uh specific uh, pickup dates because like uh everything that's coming back from the abattoirs is, is usually going to be frozen when i pick it up 
You know what's wild is that like like I've known you for a long time and we've talked a little years. bit about your stuff, about your biz, about your farm and everything. And even now I'm like, I didn't know you did delivery. Like it's like I feel like I only know maybe one percent of every, like your whole business. <laughs> like all yeah, the like yeah. well, the the deliveries like uh, it has to it has to make sense for uh, for us. Like we don't necessarily have a minimum, but what we try and do is string deliveries together. So that way, if I'm going into Kingston to get my own groceries or, or uh, picking up something else, then if we've got something available, we'll just string drops off along the way. Oh. And uh, that's and awesome. that's why it's not a formal once a week kind of delivery, but like we're, uh, we're, we're doing multiple, multiple drops at any point. So it's just setting it up with what's convenient for the customer and what's convenient for us. Right, because you're. What did you say? You're an ultra. Uh, like, what's the classification? You're not. You're a small farm, or was it? What's the classification? I, I call us an ultra small scale diversified livestock farm. There's no. There's no quantity that like makes you small scale or medium scale. Uh, it's just in comparison to a full size like food system style farm, we're very small scale. We're we're small numbers of everything. Right. But that's how we do. You know all the very different kinds of livestock we do in a bit like we're not specialized in just cows or just pigs okay uh that's cool one sec i'm i'm trying to see what the time is right now on the because i'm like make sure like i'm keeping this under 30 minutes because you and i we could talk about this for like hours <laughs> it's so interesting um do you know how long we've been recording for let me just see no that's uh, on your screen Ah, uh, oh wait, okay, here's, so one second, folks, just making sure I can just click refresh. This is why podcasts have producers. <laughs> it's Will Harrington, uh, recorder <laughs> and uh, producer and, uh, oh my gosh, oh. Well, you know, okay. when you're a farmer, you run, you wear many hats, like we're, we're, we're farming, we're uh, media, we're sales, we're delivery, you know, we're, we're everything. So uh, you, you got to be that too. You're now the producer of Real Ones with Bill okay. Harrington. So I think we're already, let's see, I, based off of my calculations, I think we're already 20 minutes, well, 19 minutes in. Okay, cool. We can keep going. I just wanted to be be uh, considerate of people's times who are also listening here because we want to try to keep this first episode you're bored already oh geez <laughs> that's i've got so much i'd like to talk about and uh 22 minutes or 25 minutes to 30 minutes is what we'll aim for uh so for those listening we're going to probably stop around 25 to 30 minutes and then if uh rob here would oblige and give me the honor we might talk a little more after that we'll see what the time's looking like but anyways, yeah, so we got another, yeah, we got some more time. So let's, let's carry on. Uh, so we hit on, I'm just looking through my notes here. So we hit on like what got you into it and like kind of how you run your stuff. It's cool. People who are interested in like kind of more education on like where the meat comes from. Uh, we've provided those sources of like, okay, uh, this is how you can find out your local stuff. And there's that good day thing. Um, and then, yeah, how would I get my meat from you if I was kind of local or in Kingston? We touched on that. So like, to be honest, I think we, I think we hit on like all the main, is there anything uh, else like you think that might be uh, like good information for people to know? 
almost every small scale farmer would would have a similar setup. So it's it's really like in Ontario, we're kind of lucky. We're in all of the surrounding areas from a major city. There's usually farmland or farmers not too far. So uh, whether or not they do deliveries into the the city where they are, or whether they just do on farm pickups, uh, it's usually about the same system for everybody doing direct to consumer, right? So. Uh, but it, it works no matter where you are. Cool. Okay. So actually this might be a good spot for us to, we'll, we'll wrap up the, the like official main portion of the podcast. Uh, thank you so much, Rob, for taking time out of your day. I know you're a really busy guy, so I really appreciate it. No worries. It's, uh, it's not like anything's getting born now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You had a busy day before the podcast, eh? I I called you. That's, Today uh, and yesterday. <laughs> I'm sure life life on a farm has always got, you know, it's always busy, right? So uh-huh. <laughs> never a dull moment. All right. So uh, would you like to share again? So your website? Yeah. So everything, all of our, uh, all of our platforms are based on The Rise Farm. Uh, so that's Instagram, Facebook, the website. Uh, we do occasionally put out a newsletter. So there's a subscription for that. We don't uh, send out 5,000 a week. So it's not a whole bunch of spam, but on all of our platforms, including hopefully Rumble soon, we will be the Rise Farm on that as well. Sweet. Sounds good. Okay. So you can find that information and those content there. And uh, I guess we'll sign it off now. So those listening, um, hope you enjoyed it. And make sure you follow Rob and the Rise Farm. And uh, if you are interested in, we might continue talking. Um, we'll see. But that's it for now. And thanks for joining. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to part two. We're back with Rob with the Rise Farm. And now we can, we're going to have a little bit of a more longer form conversation and kick back. And uh, Rob and I were talking, and he's just going to tell us his story. Well, one of the things that's going on right now, because it's uh, it's the beginning of April, is lambing season. So we actually run the males with the flock all year round. We don't separate them off. So typically stuff is still kind of seasonally uh, bred. So they would uh, get bred to the end of summer through the fall and winter. Uh, but as soon as something cycles, if you've got a male in there with them, you can start having babies and it takes five, about five months for a lamb or a goat to be born. So all of the stuff that's just being born now would have been bred uh, in December and we've been lambing and kidding since the end of December. Those would have been bred, you know, August and July. Oh, in warmer weather. Yeah. Sorry, wandering. Uh, when you lamb and kid in warmer weather rather than in negative 20, uh, but they still do pretty good, uh, you know, just being born in uh, in a snowstorm kind of thing. So, sorry, I have a question here. So is the lambing season because of the weather, the, like the Canadian or the, you know, or the Ontario weather? patterns yes mostly like so some stuff will uh, will breed out of season so that wouldn't be in your typical fall breeding season like they could get bred even now and five months later you'd have babies in uh, in september uh but usually stuff follows the seasons um 
and they cycle more often in you know end of summer to fall okay Interesting. so that so means now it's, so what what cycle are you because lambing season or like the whole breeding cycle it goes through different phases so what phase like, we're at the end oh, like i had my yeah my last uh my last goat was born this morning uh, and those ones are in a group where there is no male. So we use them as, uh, we call them the lawnmower crew. So we don't <laughs> use push mowers or, uh, or anything like that out here. I set out mobile electric fence and I put this crew out, uh, a crew of goats out every day with a leash and I walk them out to their, to their pasture, wherever I've set it up and I let them eat all day. And then at night I open the gate and they run home because they know that at, nighttime they're going to get a bit of grain and they're trained to just basically put themselves to bed cool so these it, guys they do they don't have a male in there with them so i introduce a male uh, at the beginning of november and i'll leave him in there with them for a month and all of the ones in that group so there's four four does in that group they all got bred basically as soon as the male went in there with them so that four uh the first one gave birth on march 29th and the last one uh, three in a row I basically had in two days. So that group is done, and that's my last wow, last pregnancy. That's like sounds very efficient. <laughs> but it's just uh, it just naturally happens. Like once they're if they're happy yep. and it's just they're in their environment, then it's like they're, it just that just happens. They're they're well fed and they they'll cycle. Uh, their cycle lasts seventeen days. So if they didn't get bred uh, because I missed the cycle by putting them in November first. Then they would get bred to the uh, to the seventeenth, twentieth of November, which means I would get babies at the endish of April. Okay. But these guys this year got all all bred very fast, so there was a tighter group. Huh. Okay. And these and ones, because those are my milking goats, they're uh, also because we handle them every day. And in the summer, like I said, I put a leash on them and literally walk them out to walk them out to pasture. They're very used to being handled. So those are the ones that I can milk. Cool. Uh, also, don't use uh, any kind of stand or anything to milk. We milk, like I, I put a bowl on the ground and I kneel on the ground beside the goat and uh, just milk them. I think I saw one a video I was on your Instagram. I, think, I don't know if it was the cow you're milking though or if it was a goat. Uh, yeah, well, I had a cow for about a year. Uh, we learned that it wasn't really something that we wanted to, to do. Uh, cows are big. They take a lot of food and uh, we're better equipped to deal with smaller animals. So we just moved back into more goat. Okay. So people might, would be able to see videos of like the, the operations you're talking about, like on your, on your Instagram. Oh yeah. My, my wife, whether I like it or not, she's usually around filming if she's here and uh, she posts that either in the stories or in the, in the regular feed. So it crosses over to Facebook, but is that one of her uh, passions to be like recording stuff like the hap the day on the farm? Yeah, she she loves to share and uh, and interact with uh, with people on that, whether it's other small scale farmers or uh, or just people that watch it. Like a lot of people will play the play the stories for their grandkids or their kids uh, as a little bit of a video for you know farm animals of the day. So that's another reason why we put that out there, right? That's so cool. Yeah, and as you mentioned earlier, it's like there's liability issues or insurance reasons why it's like I'm sure kids would be like, oh my gosh, I want to visit the farm and like look around. Uh, I even thought of you know like I would like I would bring uh, people from my family that are younger and be like, hey, like here, like this is my this is my friend's farm and like let's like walk around or like let's check it out. Um, and again, like we're friends, so I'd do that. 
but it, yep. it'd be more like you know and we just be safe and i you know I'm sure and it's it's, it's great, part yeah. of part of like educating is educating younger people right because like if you grow up in a city especially now a lot of the times there's not that around anymore uh for for young kids to see like there's no field trips to the farms anymore so uh it it gives them a little bit more of a perspective on what it means yeah they need to learn like how to like be delicate with um with animals in that sense yeah and it 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 is a way to show them where their food comes from like it doesn't come from a from a styrofoam pack wrapped in cellophane like at one point that was part of a a living animal and you're consuming part of that circle of life yeah it's it's important that everybody understands that because of the disconnect that we have with our food. So um, that's again most of the like a big reason of why we do share what we share as well because there's a lot of people that watch that aren't close to farms, so it gives them an insight. Yeah, yeah. Because I remember when I visited, I was like like I was blown away. And I was like, wow. I'm like, why haven't I seen this before? It's just just like, but it's again because we all have our lives and like I've always been kind of you know like downtown and like and doing tech stuff or whatever uh and i just never like i've been out like you know camping or at a cottage and that's like my time to be like oh, okay i can unwind you know and relax yep. um yep. so everyone needs to like i i'm sure everyone's different and i'm sure everyone has their way to connect with nature um but that's uh, for me being on the farm is like that was something it felt like so new but back like you know, in like the 1800s or 1700s, that was almost everyone had that connection already, like just by it's, default. It's, it's closer than that. It's, uh, you know, refrigeration wasn't live, like widespread until like industrialization in the 40s. Like a home icebox, even in the, the, like in 1905 was literally a box with a block of ice in it. Like the, <laughs> a compressor for a refrigeration unit wasn't in everybody's home. So like oh, wow. you were a lot more connected to farms and farmers. So then it was that invention pretty much that made it now it's good because it's like, Oh, you got, you can now preserve meat like in a fridge where you can control the temperature. So your food doesn't spoil as quickly. Exactly. And okay. you've now you don't have to go to the farm and worry about where you're going to put 50 pounds of raw meat. Uh, you know, you, you buy what you need and you can put it in your refrigerator freezer. And what was it before that? It was like, cause I'm thinking almost like, uh, I think of like the Inuit or like the the indigenous people, um, which is like uh, if it's cold, they like uh, bury it or whatever, and it, it'd be like well, it's, thermally. It's, but it's like I'm sure all people, right, kind of did it, not just it, indigenous. It was either fresh or it was preserved. Whether it was preserved with uh, by salting it or fermenting it uh, to make it stable for longer term storage. But yeah, like digging digging a hole six feet down into the ground gives you access to a stable temperature. Uh, and long-term food storage would be that. Inuit people, for the most part, like they have nature to keep it cold, right? Like the for a large part of the year, you don't have to worry about making things cold. You got to worry about making things hot. Yeah, true. And then, well, again, we're in Canada, and sometimes the, the winter we just had, we probably could have kept our food outside and would have stayed <laughs> well preserved because yeah. of how cold it was. <laughs> a lot, a lot of people, a lot of people do because you, you only need to worry about it if it starts warming above zero, right? So for a large part of the part of the six months of winter, uh, you know you're under zero degrees, so it's not going to thaw. And you know what's sorry, Quan? Yep. No, no. The so funny, the interesting thing is that for me, I'm so 
I wouldn't say paranoid. The expiry dates, when I look on food, I'm like, oh, okay, it hit the expiry date. Or it's like one day after. I'm like, okay, I got to th- throw the food out. But it's like, ah, yeah. you just smell yeah. it. You look at it and you smell it. And, and okay, by the way, uh, this is not medical advice, but I learned more <laughs> that, that it's like, okay, if it smells fine or it doesn't smell weird and it looks fine, it's probably okay to eat. It is okay to eat. The expiry dates are, are a liability thing for the producers, and that also matters on how it was handled. So you can't uh, have a piece of meat that you bought from the from the grocery store out of the out of the refrigeration unit, and then leave it till it warms up to room temperature, and then put it back in the fridge, and then pull it out. Uh, like that still speeds up the the decomposition of it, uh, but. Your senses are when things are good or not good. If it looks good and it smells good, then it's probably good. And for the most part, you're going to cook it anyways, right? Hmm. Yeah, so, that's good. And that prevents food waste too, right? If you're doing, if you're lot, living we, by we that. We throw right? out a lot of edible food in the garbage oh. uh, because of a date printed on that somebody has. You know, they're they're not going to say like it's good right up until this point and then throw it out. Like they're they're going to give themselves a little leeway as well, right? So. Yeah. Here we don't. Uh, I don't have to throw out anything edible. It either gets composted or it gets fed to the birds. Or when we have pigs, it gets fed to the pigs. Everything uh, that is organic can be used back onto something. So chickens are uh, are omnivores. They eat anything, and pigs the same way. So uh, if it's edible food that's just like peels and and stuff like that, like we just give it to critters that turn it into meat or eggs, right? Right. So that's like that. So no way, as little waste as possible. Yeah, like on a on a properly run, self sufficient farm, there's no such thing as organic waste. It's just nutrients that are going to be repurposed into something else, whether it's into the compost pile to get put onto the garden next year, or into an animal that is going to turn it into meat or eggs. Wow, that's that's you know that's the only garbage that you'd have is the plastic that something came in. Yeah. Huh. I see. Like it, it makes me think too of like, and like for indigenous, but also like probably many, like all people from mm-hmm. back in our history. It's like whenever there was you're going hunting or you have this this animal or carcass, you are looking for every way because that animal basically like you know it's for your family now. Like it's provide it's lived its life and now it's almost like a I wouldn't say a sacrifice, but it's now you've hunted this animal, so you better try to utilize as much as of it as you can out of respect that, for the animal, right? That's the difference as well. Like the hard work of farming is raising something from uh, from a baby until it's ready to be eaten. The hard work of hunting is going to secure that resource, you know, manually somehow. And both are hard in their own way. So you definitely don't want to go out there and, uh, and hunt a deer and then just take the take the the tenderloin off of it and throw the rest in the garbage like you've got bones and skin and sinew and all the rest of it that you're going to utilize for one purpose or another mm-hmm. i see so, again, uh, uh, if you left it in nature though and uh, like the nature though would also use up the the remains too right so it's not a full waste but i see like um for me when i look at the expiry date and i go oh, okay it's one day past expiry in the garbage or in the or a organic waste it goes that mm-hmm. though is like a waste because it's just you know hopefully our organic our, our organic recycling system is efficient but it's very hard to get that to like 100 efficiency right 
Well, or, organic matter can't, like, there's no such thing as waste to it unless you bury it to the point where organisms don't reach it. Like, so that's the reason why we bury things six feet under. There's no uh, microbes down that far that are active enough to break stuff down readily. Oh, but, wow. okay. you know, nature doesn't, nature doesn't uh, accept, uh, like, waste. Like, it's, a, it's just a byproduct that's going to turn into something else at some point, right? It's all going to get broken down. There's bacteria and microbes and everything. So, you know, I'm not saying go, you know, the steak doesn't, like, it expired two days ago, so I'm going to throw it in the garbage kind of thing. Like, it, it, it's still uh, still a valuable resource that, you've, uh, that you're not utilizing, but nature will take it back. Right, right. And then, like, for the, when I think of, you know, you learn when you're a kid, like, the indigenous stuff or the, the mm -hmm. proper, like, all the things from an animal. It's like you got the, uh, the the fur. So you can make clothing out of the fur. So it's like that, again, is showing the respect for the animal and like try to utilize it as much as you can for like the circle of life, right? Exactly, because you're, you're, you've taken something and you have the responsibility at that point to use as much of it as you can and not just squander the resource that you've taken for the prime cut. Like here I process all of our own meat myself. So I don't buy meat unless it's, you know, um, specifically like a pepperoni or something like that, that I don't do here. All of our, uh, all of our raw meat comes from our farm and I process it for us. Right. Right. And uh, actually I was curious too, um, so what kind of like, for what you feed your animals, like the diet, what could you go a little bit into that? Yeah. So the, the lambs are uh, like the, the sheep and the goats, they're, uh, they're, on pasture during the during the summer, so they have access to not uh, groomed pasture, but it's more wild and, and natural grasses and, and uh, uh, plants that they can get access to. And then in the winter, they're fed hay that I buy from local farmers that uh, that make that because we don't have enough area here to both graze and make our own hay. Uh, and then other than that, they're supplemented with a bit of grain um for making sure that they that they get enough to eat and also for training purposes because it makes it very easy for them to want to come back at night if they know that they're going to get a little handful of uh of high protein grain yeah yeah and the birds are are fed grain as well but the free rangers in the summer same thing they're eating bugs and they're eating the grasses and they're eating the shoots of uh, of whatever plants that they want to so it's pretty much just like just as if they were just in nature like they're they are in nature uh, your farm yeah so yeah this with, is just their, with, their diet their diet that they, with, they, eat, they yeah with with a helping hand of uh of of grain because uh you know when you're farming something you you would have usually um like a bigger group of something than would would naturally stay in one area and not leave right so everything uh like Grain is what, like, whether it's straight corn or if it's, uh, if it's got soy mixed in there or, if, uh, like, uh, oats and barley, like, they, everybody gets a little bit of that. And when we do pigs, our pigs are, uh, are basically either kitchen scraps, um, supplemented, but a full grain diet. Okay. Cool. Wow. Um, well, we'll start to wrap this up, actually. Uh, we're both... Busy people, and now you you probably got some stuff to do. 
Um, yeah, we're gonna get prepared for the dark. So everybody's gonna, everybody's needs to have their waters checked, their uh, everything, everything prepped for them to to go to bed at night, and then in the morning we kick them all loose again. Sweet, sweet. Okay, Rob, thank you so much, like for for doing this. Um, I really appreciate. No it. No problem. Are you ready for your soundbite? This has been the real ones <laughs> with Bill. You laughed over it. <laughs> now, now you can never cut that in. <laughs> Uh, so again, uh, how how people find you again? Your stuff, your your farm. Yeah, so we're the Rise Farm on all the social media platforms that we're uh, attached to, and it works for our, our Gmail account, our Facebook website, Instagram, and Rumble coming soon. Cool, awesome. All right, everyone, thanks for listening to the Real Ones, and this is my guest Rob. Thank you, Rob, again for being on the show. No worries.